Now, this guy, Alfred Bernard Morty, I have my doubts about him being a real man altogether. Because in 1881, he was listed as living near Dulwich, uh, London. Uh-huh. But strangely, he doesn't appear on the 1901 census. Now, explain that. How can you I, explain that? Justin, I am not keeping tracks of where this man went, except when he set off to go round the British Isles to visit the whiskey distilleries, of which he visited 162. Now, that's that's a trip. That is a day trip out. You know, that's, that's two years going round the British Isles, going to... All the distilleries that he could get to. Listen, there's there's nutters out there in every feed. There's people that try to go to every Premier League football ground. There's people that try to go to every tube station in London. I mean, <laughs> that would have been no mean feat when he did that. Uh, from 1885 to 1887, he did it in two years. Of course, the train went everywhere then, didn't it? Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, they made a much better rail network 200 years ago, well, 150 years ago than we do now. But the, the thing about it is it's... This book, Alfred Bernard's Whiskey Distilleries of the United Kingdom, is it's much more than just the whiskey distilleries. It's it's the classic book on on whiskey distilleries from the nineteenth century. Really, when whiskey was in its heyday, you know we think we think we tend to think of whiskey being in its heyday now. But going back, it was just. Huge business, huge business. Now he must have liked the tipple because he, he there's limited family records, but he was born in 1837 into a Baptist family. You wouldn't think yeah. they would drink, uh, and and Thaxted, uh, a rural village in Essex. He was one of eight children. His father was a draper and a grocer, mm-hmm. uh, and this is the good bit. This is the bit I like. In 1859, aged 22, he married. Fanny Ruffle. <laughs> that's one. That's one of those little Ruffle your fanny. Right, no. <laughs> oh, gosh, right. that's a good one. But, but the thing is, Justin, when you read the book, he he, he describes in great detail the the distilleries and the size of their mash tons and the how the volume of output and you know all of this the great detail. But there's no tasting notes, so I I rather suspect he he possibly didn't drink as much as you would as one would sort of think that he does, because he, he doesn't describe you know the the texture of the the, the spirit you know how oily it is or the, the flavours or the nose that's not in the book, and what it is it's a it's a reference he, he sets out in the preface where he says. Uh, I want to draw attention to the rapid increase of the whisky trade and the vast field of distillery enterprise now existing in this country. The annual output of Scotland alone for the year 1885-86 is 17,982,338 gallons, whilst that of Ireland is 10,620,584. So he's right down to the very last gallon. And he says that this is... uh, the largest revenue in the imperial exchequer of any industry. Why did people not think he was undertaking industrial espionage when he did this? Because a lot of these distillers didn't see eye to eye with each other even then. Well, this is that is very true, Justin. However, 
they all seem to have let him in and they all seem to have thought this guy's you know he's, he's recording all this for for posterity or whatever however we do have one exception he comes to belfast <laughs> right okay now i the book i the edition i have is obviously a, a reprint a, a reprint because the original the originals of these cost two thousand pounds and i don't have your money so i i Two grand, it would be nice to get your hands on one of those. Uh, I mean, it, is there some about? Because he just didn't do the books. After he did the books, a lot of the distilleries sort of, they courted him, didn't they? Well, they did. Uh, he, he did the distilleries. And the distilleries, the distillers even back then, understood the, ad, the, the power of advertising. You know, this, they, they, they knew that there was a sort of, brand loyally so if people knew the story it's a, i mean i always talk about the the difference between whiskey and basically every other spirit is that you become vested in it you know you have uh, a connection if you go and see the distillery you you carry that with you and the the spirit means more it's got that embodiment to it do you really think he actually did go to all these places? Because, it, as you say, there's no tasting notes. And Bradshaw, who did the Bradshaw's Guide, mm-hmm. I mean, I have my doubts that he was able to go and visit all those places in, in Bradshaw's Guide. You, you well, know. I, I, the amount of detail that he puts in here, it would be hard to imagine him him doing that and and just making this up. Plus, you have to remember... The distillers then, lots of these guys were extremely wealthy. They were making a lot of money. And if he had just made it up, a lot of them would have said, hang on, you weren't near my distillery. You weren't really there. Yeah, that, that, really there, that's, yeah. A, that's a fair point. But it always surprised me, you know, with that other uh, Thackeray's Guide, that uh, Carrick Fergus Castle doesn't get a mention in it. And how you could leave it out when it's one of the oldest things in all of Ireland that's uh, still in existence and completely and utterly totally recognisable as a castle. How, how they well, could miss it. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I've never thought of that. Never well, thought of that. I will, I'll just tell you, you said about him coming to these distilleries and industrial espionage. He comes to Belfast. Now, he says, Pursuing our pilgrimage from Dundalk, we arrived in Belfast, the capital of Ulster. The town is certainly the most celebrated in Ireland, alike for its manufactories, commerce and public spirit of its inhabitants. Now, he goes on, he mentions Carrick Fergus. Uh, he says that when they get there, they take a car... A, a a jaunty car and he makes a comment that well shall we say the driver's somewhat over the limit which is his first experience of Belfast <laughs> he then goes he goes to the Royal Irish distilleries which is, is the, was the Dunville's distillery up in the, on the Grosvenor Road yep I've been in there you know Morty I know you told me that I you, know I'm good up there I know there was a bicycle shop or something. It was a big bicycle wholesalers, uh, and I was in there many uh, a Saturday afternoon with my dad, and I think a Thursday night as well. But I was in there quite a few times. Lovely people that owned that uh, uh, in there. And listen, I can tell you something about this place. It, it's very good. They had a secret do- doorbell. It was actually a doorbell that was shaped like a nail, and you had to know where to press the bell for them to come to open the gate. Brilliant, isn't it? 
<laughs> it doesn't really bode well for for customers coming into the shop. <laughs> into the shop. Well, it was for wholesalers. You, you had to be, yeah. you know, you had to be a bicycle be retailer to get in, you know. But when he comes to Belfast, he goes to the Avonale Distillery over in East Belfast, and when he gets there. Now, bear in mind, he's been to 162 distilleries. He's been to the Highlands and the Islands of Scotland. He's been to Eng the English distilleries. He's been in Dublin and Cork and all over the other place. Comes to Belfast. His driver is one over the odds. Half, you know, he's been on the booze. He goes to the Evenil distillery. And the distillery is about half a mile from the described in the previous chapter. The proprietor stands conspicuous as being unwilling to allow an inspection of his works. For what reason, we are unable to explain. So the only place he wasn't allowed in was one in Belfast. <laughs> kind of, I, I find somewhat heartening that he's went round everywhere, he comes to Belfast, and they don't let him in. <laughs> well, 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 that's a bit like when uh, Trudeau's father, uh, the Canadian uh, Prime Minister came to Carrickfergus Castle. He visited allegedly on a Sunday afternoon. They knew he was coming. The castle was shut. He knocked the door and they wouldn't let him in. Um, but li listen, listen. Mm -hmm. 162 distilleries, right? In yeah. two years. Mm -hmm. that, that's that's one every t two days. I uh, mean, it, uh, whenever it was sort of, you'd be heading to one every four days, Justin. And you have to remember a lot of these. I know there was that, clusters, but a lot of them were far apart, you know. Well, if you take it that you have Isla. Isla's not very a very big place, and Campbelltown certainly isn't a big place. It's Campbelltown is really quite tiny, but it was known as uh, Whiskeyopolis. I, I almost said Linenopolis there, but Belfast. I was talking only after doing a presentation in Belfast. Um, so I'm a little bit confused. But no, Campbelltown was known as Whiskeyopolis. There was over 30 distilleries in Campbelltown alone. Now, pretty much all of those have disappeared. But, for example, the one that I really love in this book is he gives a description of Springbank. And he goes on and he talks about uh, the sea coast and the, the, the bracing air and then he starts talking about the granaries and how big it is and, the, and the, the heating tank for the hot water. He goes into great detail and all of this kind of stuff. And if you ever get a chance, and I, I've mentioned this I don't know how many times in the show, if you ever get a chance of going to Springbank, go because what you're reading in this book is pretty much what it's like today. It's not that much different. Uh, it's it's really just incredible, but he he talk the way he talks. There's over two hundred engravings in this, so you've got all the artwork and all the, the the history. I mean, when he leaves, when he goes to the Evenil Distillery, he's not allowed in. He decides to go to Cumber in County Down, and after it, he says Belfast has been called the Athens of Ireland, the Manchester of Ulster, and the Glasgow of Antrim. <laughs> it's just a bit. You know, it's a bit odd. But he leaves there. He says, when we left the Royal Avenue Hotel in a very tipsy-looking jaunting car with a driver to match the vehicle. <laughs> his coat has evidently been handed down from a past generation. It skirts touching his heels whilst his battered white hat and his knee breeches were of like ancient date. So he catches the train to Cumber. He, he talks about the upper distillery and then the lower distillery. And again, he doesn't go into huge detail in some of these because there's really not a huge amount. 
talk about. He, he, again, he's missing out all tasting notes and he doesn't really comment on what styles of whiskey they're making. But do you remember we did on the show the Lost Distilleries? We did, uh, yes, we did. Well, a lot, not a, all of what they got, a lot of what they got was from th- these books. You know, they, they looked through this and they got some of the uh, what style of whiskey they were making. There are no tasting notes, but you kind of understand what the shape of the stills were. You know, you'd, you'd have understood from this book the lost distilleries and what they would have been like, and that was used then. Well, m- many of the distilleries he visited, you know, they've closed, you know, and yeah. especially here in Ireland, the buildings themselves have been decimated, uh, and I'm sure the names have been changed to protect the innocent as well in many cases <laughs> with mergers and acquisitions. Well, a lot, a lot of the names on it now are starting to become more recognisable again. But they don't necessarily share a huge amount of the heritage that's contained in the book. For example, you can buy coal rain whiskey. And I, it's a very grainy blend. It's really not very good. Well, it was the number one in the House of Commons, wasn't it? It, it, did, it had coal rain HC on it because it was the number one. It was said to be the best Irish whisky, and it was sold in the House of Commons, much to their uh, their, their their sense of pride. Well, it's product endorsement that they wouldn't do that now, would they? <laughs> well, probably not. No. <laughs> when saying that, most most of our MPs wouldn't. But I don't see them being much whisky drinkers. They're more likely to sit down and have some sort of cocktail a latte or something. Oh. <laughs> You know, they'll all be riding their bikes through London and Boris out running and whatnot. <laughs> oh, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> but I'll give you an example. When he comes to Cole Rain, he talks through and he, he says, you know, uh, the House of Commons, uh, sorry, whiskey is bottled under 10 years of age. We noticed that all the bottles and cases bore the trademark of HC and on asking for an explanation, we were informed that since the year 1845, this whiskey had been supplied to the House of Commons and therefore the proprietor had adopted HC as a trademark. The water used in the distillery comes from a noted well on the premises. He describes the thing, but then he gives a little poem. Uh, it's a, po- it's a, a, a poem by a, a local guy, James Feehan, and it, it, it praises Coleraine whiskey. So, for example, I'll read you one verse of it. The Spaniard may boast of his shadow, the Frenchman his sharkling champagne, but if a man wants to be merry, I'd advise him to try Oil Coal Rain. <laughs> That's quite <laughs> That's good. That's quite it good. It's, 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 you almost reminded me of Rick Stein there, reading it a, a little ditty. <laughs> uh, funny, I seen Rick Stein who was on there earlier on. It's quite but, good, actually. It is. Now, but, listen, mm-hmm. tell me this and tell me no more. If I can. They did, they did pamphlets. So after he did this, he, he also did, you know... The breweries of Britain and Ireland, right? He did, yeah. But but he did these pamphlets. But there's only supposed to be six of these pamphlets in existence. One for a how to blend Scotch whiskey for Mackey and Co. Uh, mm-hmm. Patterson's Glenfarkers, uh, Johnny Walker, Watsons of Dundee, the Highland Distilleries, and the Dalmore. And he also yes. did a 34-page pamphlet for Duncan Alderdice and Co. Newry County Down. Uh, and they had a big blending business, and one of those exists in Newry and, and, and Morn Museum in uh, County Down. Yeah, uh, you could you, honestly the the books. If you get the the edition that I have, 
Uh, it contains adverts and stuff at the back of it. It has, I mean, there's adverts for long disappeared stuff, but there's also uh, things that are, are, are very relevant um, and and well known. For I've just opened a page here where it talks about uh, Mother Neen, which is the queen of Irish whiskies, supplied in bulk in cases for home use and exportation from Mrs. McLaren and Co. in the North Wall of Dublin. Um, it's, it's just a wonderful book, it really is. Uh, I mean, there's another advert here for Kirker and Greer, which is another brand that has restarted by uh, the company Drinksology. But you're talking there about the blending, the art of blending Irish... Scotch whiskey, sorry. The art of blending Scotch whiskey. He goes to Isla, um, and he talks about Lagavulin, and it's just that it's, it just goes into how it all supposed to be that it is a fact well known that the established Scotch houses above all others are enabled to give a higher class of whisky by reason of their careful study of the science of blending which they have now reduced to a fine art and he goes on to describe how this process is done and, and various other aspects of it the increasing demand on the part of the English people for good Highland whisky with a fair amount of flavour has compelled the Scotch blenders to give higher quality and more age. And it is but fair to say that the large trade done in England direct by Scotch firms is simply the outcome of their being able to supply one which the average English trader has hitherto ignored, his chief error being the purchase of low-cost brands on account of their cheapness. So he describes basically how Scotch whisky really started to take over uh, you know it was uh, the quality uh, basically well they mastered blending and, and the art of blending as he describes the idea is to produce a blend so perfect that it strikes the consumer as being of one liquid not many having absolute unity tasting as one whole so taking these various aspects from different distilleries at this stage they were bringing in you know the cheaper grain which doesn't have as much flavor and they were starting to blend this and really bringing the quality, if you like, they were bringing the basic quality up while keeping the price down. And that's really the key to any business. You can get, you get a quality product for the right price to, to, to the ordinary sort of common man on the street. You're on to a winner. Well, that's it. That's the secret to a lot of commodity product success, you know, like Absolutely. Coke or, or, or Pepsi or, or Tato Crisps or something like that there. Now, listen, mm-hmm. uh, this guy, he lived till he was 81. That's a fair innings for 1918. I mean, it. you know, how did he manage that? It makes you think that he does like whiskey. It does, <laughs> it does, because that's what all these... You know, hundred people say. You know, all of them say. You know, uh, leaving men alone, <laughs> having a wee dram, don't they? Usually, you know. Well, every time they interview someone who's like one hundred and twenty-three, they'll ask, you know, what's the secret to it? Have a wee nip of whiskey in an evening. <laughs> yeah. They don't overdo it. They don't overindulge. They just have a, a you know a little whiskey in the evening. There's nobody any harm. Just don't overdo it. Now, this this book, this was a bit like the water of life of the day because it was well-received and well-respected at the time. It has it was well-received and respected at the time and continues to be. If, it, if there's... Listen, there's... I have... I don't know how many books on whiskey in the house. I have 
I'm sure, a hundred. And pretty much. And many all more whiskies, I might say. <laughs> many more whiskies, yes. But. What I got another two bottles today. God love me. But anyway, <laughs> they, uh, but my, my my point is, pretty much all of them, at some point, reference this book. It's really, it's if you're ever reading a history of whiskey, and it doesn't mention Alfred Bernard, they're really they're not doing a, they're not doing you a service here. They're 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 neglecting what's probably the. Uh, the seminal work on on early Irish or early whiskey, and including Irish whiskey, because pretty much all of the distilleries that mentions here are gone. There's quite a few of the Scottish ones has re- Scottish ones have remained. They the Irish ones pretty much all disappeared. Now some of them have been resurrected. I the, the, I call them the Lazarus brands, but the actual companies and the buildings and the stills pretty much all disappeared okay right now he, he must have uh, made a bit of money out of this because it said on on uh, the birth certificates of his two daughters uh, uh, Theodore and Edith and one son Harold originally he was down as a toilet soap exporter now there was money in toilet soap then and then he was described as a merchant and then he was described as a gentleman yeah. So that means he was, well, he was a, he was a yuppie of a day of the day. He was up, upwardly <laughs> mobile, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, this this sold this book sold in numbers, and you have to remember, it, it was kind of like a Charles Dickens esque escapade. He didn't create this book as a fait accompli. He he released, you know, like a a, a travel diary, and it was released a journal, and he was making money then. Then he published it as a book and he put you know he he, he was a shouldn't enough guy um and I, I love i love some of the descriptions he has in it you know just it's just it gives you an insight into what was going on in wider society and locally and conveys it all through a sort of story of whiskey so if if, it, if you have a favorite brand Especially of Scotch, because as I say, most of the English ones, or most of the Scotch ones have disappeared. He mentions four English ones, and they obviously closed. But if you have an affinity or a a penchant for some of the Scottish distilleries, have a read at Bernard. Most libraries, certainly in the UK, will have it or be able to get you. And you can read about the the distillery uh, and read about what was going on there and it's just a fabulous book, fabulous. Do you think any of these pamphlets will ever pop up, uh, and they're in somebody's attic, and another one will turn up, and you know they'll be able to put a set together, and they'll be able to reprint them or something like that? I mean, it would be, I, would be would be nice if you I'm could sure. come across one, for, especially for somebody like Dunvals or something like that. I'm sure it would be it would be a fabulous thing to have. I'm sure there's it's the same as everyone else, Justin. Uh, paintings just pop up here and there. Um, I mean, look at the Caravaggio that they found hanging in a in a, uh, in a dining room in Dublin. <laughs> you know, it's an old master masterpiece was hanging. People thought it was a copy, and suddenly somebody found out it was it was the legit thing. Um, these things pop up; they really do. They do. Now, what about the Whiskey Bible? Do you think this is a more important book than the Whiskey Bible is? Oh, much more so, much more so. The Whiskey Bible, 
uh, <laughs> the much maligned Jim Murray at the minute. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a very good reference because although it's one man's opinions on whiskey, it's extremely good at telling you what is and was available, and also you can you can compare it year on year. And whether you agree with the, the the tastings or the tasting notes or whatever, that's that's not the point. It gives a real sort of progression as to what has been going on. Is the distillery sticking to the same style, or have they done new experiments, or new deviated from their cask finishes? And that's good. But as a as a reference, as a as something to sort of sit down and get lost in. Alfred Bernard's far and away outstrips Adam Mills. Far and away outstrips Adam Mills. Great stuff. Uh, now, Marty, what are we doing uh, on the show on Saturday? Do you know? Because I've got good news for you. What? If you ask a device in your house to play the podcast, it will. <gasps> you mean Alexa? I do. Oh, other other voice activated uh, internet interfaces are available, folks. It might <laughs> it might play in them as well, but I only tested it on the one that's the lady's name beginning with A. <laughs> Can't say it because it's sitting beside me, and it'll say I have not found that file, but it definitely works. <laughs> I, I, I'm half tempted to shout on this. <laughs> yeah, I've got, don't shout I've got headphones on I've got headphones on uh, I just wanted to see if Alexa would play whatever you were listening to last I, I know we're on lots of new platforms we're on Buy Me A Coffee as well you can become a member on there and join us on our trip when we're eventually out of lockdown I tell you it's it's yeah. tough going this yeah, it is this one seems a awful lot harder than, than any of the rest of them uh, the weather stuff plays its part I believe you're flooded in Glenar. Uh, well, I'm not. I'm up high, but the the river has burst its banks. Um, there's the, the forest. Uh, there's some of the pathways. There's been a landslide between between Glenarm and Larne, so the roads closed. So it's it's been raining non-stop for two days, and we have another full day of it. So yeah. We'll, we'll maybe be lucky. We'll maybe get a, a taste of this wayward Irish spirit before the weekend comes, or something like that. There, you never know. You mean you mean to say because by law you're allowed to exercise. So you mean you mean to say you might be going exercising and I might just happen to go exercising with you. And uh, we, we, we might do. We might do. I, I think that's a distinct possibility. But uh, remember, nothing you hear or see on the internet is real. Uh, so even if you do see us together, it's all done by green screen. Yes, <laughs> it is. That's that's the most it important is. thing to remember. Uh, catch again. Saturday, 10pm, GMT, on Facebook and on YouTube, Irish Whiskey Review. Good night, Take Marty. care. Take care, folks. <laughs>